Welcome to Seek the Word Ministry podcast. Seek the Word Ministry is a ministry dedicated to the uh, biblical principles and scriptural authority um, as applied to theology, the world around us, and to our daily life. I'm your host, Brandon Ritchie, pastor at Grace Community Christian Church. I want to let you know that Seek the Word Ministries podcast is available on iTunes and Podbean, and as well as our, our Facebook page. We ask you to like the Facebook page, Seek the Word, um, and you're able to interact with us. And on Fridays, we will do questions and answers. And feel free to, to message us, ask any questions that you may have, uh, and we will to answer those as best of our ability using the scriptures and and. God's Word. Today, um, we want to look at um, the topic of total depravity. And this is one that we've been talking about doing for a long time. Um, I've got a laugh. We, we first started talking about doing this some time ago, and I kind of got put on the, the back burner. Um, there's a real problem uh, today in, in Christianity, and it, it, I want to say it's not a new problem. It's a problem that's been around for a long time, and we even see it to some degree crop up in the first century church, and we read about it in the New Testament because it's addressed in the New Testament at times. And the problem is this view of, of who we are and whom God is, and oftentimes one of the issues that so many people struggle with in their Christian walk is they have such a high view of themselves and such a low view of God. They don't understand how far from God they are. They don't understand how in their natural state, their natural sinful state apart from God, how totally depraved they are. We're all sinners saved by grace for those who have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us, every everyone who's ever lived, has felt the, the corruption brought upon by Adam's sin. And we are all sinners. Now, apart from, from Jesus, who, who was the perfect spotless lamb, Everyone else who's ever taken a breath on this planet is a sinner. And they constantly are falling short of the glory of God. Now, oftentimes in churches today, sin is not not a topic that's often addressed. It's it's glossed over, glazed over. We've lost the in the American Western church, we've 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 lost the desire to to talk about sin and the importance of it. But yet in the, in the New Testament preaching of the apostles, we see them constantly talking about sin and our need for Christ. See, if I don't understand that I'm a sinner, I don't understand that I'm, I can't save me because I, I, I am such a depraved sinner, then I, I don't truly understand why I need a Savior. 
But we are all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. None of us can meet his standard, which is sin. None of us can keep his law. Second Chronicles 6.36 If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy, for there is no one who does not sin. Again, we see this, that, that there's no one. This is all-encompassing. There's no one who does not sin. And we have to understand that sin is, God hates sin. We've, we have lost our understanding to some degree because of poor biblical teaching. But we've lost this understanding in so many churches of the, the grievousness of sin, like the, the horrible nature of sin, and that it separates us from God. It estranges us from God. In Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. They're talking to the nation of Israel, God's people, but there's strong principle there because we are all like sheep. We've, we've gone astray. In our natural state, we, we, we love us. We are our idol. We don't want to come off of the throne and give that over to God. We don't want to surrender to Jesus Christ because we love our sin. We, we are like marinating in our sin. Because in the fall from Adam, every part of us was corrupted. And we love our sin more than we love God. As a matter of fact, in our natural sinful state, we have enmity, as the scripture tells us. Look at Mark 7, 21 through 23. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Listen, man's heart is wicked in its natural state. Man's heart is, is deceitful and evil. And we see this list here in, in Mark of the things that are in it. You know, I worked in the psychology field for years, and, and there can be rarely a field found that is antithetical to the scriptures and the teaching of scriptures like the psychology field. And I, I get that there have been so many places who have tried to marry spirituality of sorts with the psychology field. But in psychology, the basic premise is that the problem is outside of you and the answer is inside of you. So we just have to harness that answer to solve these issues. But the scripture tells us something very different. The scripture says that the problem is inside of you. It's your heart. And the answer is outside of you. The answer is Jesus Christ. Inside of you, in your heart, there are evil thoughts, there's sexual immorality, there's theft, there's murder, there's adultery, there's coveting, there's wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things that no one wants to talk about on a Sunday morning when they want to come and just hold down a pew and feel good about themselves while they sent the kids down a, a slide or out to a playground or 
to their, their, their kids' fun park ministry deal. Look at Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? There are so many people in our churches today who who attempt to to feel their way through. They they and they're emotionally driven, but their the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, man's heart and his natural state is deceitful. You can't you can't follow your feelings and emotions. Because they can be deceived, and they themselves are corrupted and deceitful. Titus 1, 15 through 16. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciousnesses are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. They profess to know God. There's a lot of people sitting in churches today, or there's a lot of people who claim that they're Christians, and they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works and the fact that they are not obedient. There's, they are living a life that is in complete disobedience to the scriptural authority. So they are not brothers and sisters in Christ. Not if they're openly defiant to, willfully defiant to God's word. As a matter of fact, here in Titus, as we just seen, they're detestable, they're disobedient, and they're unfit for any good work. We have to understand that not everyone who claims to be a Christian is actually a brother and sister in Christ. Over 75% of the people in the United States claim to have some type of Christian belief. Well, obviously, there's very little understanding of what that Christian belief is. Ecclesiastes 9.3, there's an evil in all that is done under the sun that the the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live and after they go to the dead. You know, one of the questions often asked uh, um, is, how could a loving God ever send anyone to hell? And because they want to focus just on the attribute of perfect love, but God is has many attributes and they're all perfect. He is perfect love. He has perfect grace. He's perfectly merciful, but he's also a perfect judge, and he's perfectly sovereign, and he's perfectly omnipotent. He's perfectly omniscient. And none of those can be greater than the other to God because you can't be more than perfect. And if one was more, then the others would no longer be perfect. We have to look at all the attributes of God. So the question is not how could a loving God ever send anyone to hell, but how could a completely perfectly holy, perfectly righteous perfectly sovereign God. Know what is in my heart and thoughts and allowed me to breathe another day.
You see, in the natural state of man is, is estranged from God, has enmity towards God, has a hatred towards God because they do not want to give up control. In our natural sinful state, we desire to make it all about us. We're, we are our own idol. Even, listen, even people who do good things, if what you do is not for the glory of God and for the glory of God alone, it's filthy rags. I don't care how many people you feed. I don't care how many people you clothe. I don't care how many people you will help walk across the street. When you're doing it for yourself, for your own accolades, to feel good about you, to make it about you, or to make it about anyone else other than God, it's sin. Second Peter 2.19 They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. We're slaves to sin. Everything about us is corrupted. Our will is corrupted by the fall. Adam's fall corrupted all of mankind. Galatians 4, 8 through 9. Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn your back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? See, formerly, when we didn't know God, when we're in our natural state, our natural sinful state, we're enslaved to that sin. And we, we make idols for ourselves, and we make idols of ourselves. But when we come to God, and God adopts us into his family and calls us his child, We don't, we don't turn back to the world. Once we've been freed from those bounds of slavery to sin, we don't desire to get back in them. Not, not if you're truly a regenerate believer. John 3.19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Listen, people love their sin and their natural state. Why do they reject Christ? Why do they reject God? They can't do anything but reject him in their natural state. They love their sin. Their hearts are deceitful until the Holy Spirit breathes life and changes that heart. As Isaiah tells us, or I'm sorry, as Jeremiah tells us that, that um, he take, turns that heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And in that heart of flesh, until that happens... Until God breathes life into that sinner who has been estranged, who is dead. You're dead in your trespasses. You are dead in your sin until God breathes life into that sinner. You love that darkness. You don't even know you're dead. You don't really even know you're apart. You have enmity towards a God you don't even know. Enmity towards a God you're estranged from. And, and you live in darkness. 
And that you love that darkness. That darkness has become comfortable for you. You hate the light. Romans 8, 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. I want to say it's hostile to God. When we are living in our, in our fleshly natural state, Apart from God, we are hostile to him, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, look at this, indeed, it cannot. It cannot. In our natural state, apart from God, we cannot submit to God's law. We need God to be able to submit to his law. We need the Holy Spirit to be able to submit to his law. We need God to breathe life into us, raising us from our, our grave of sin to be able to even submit to his law. Matthew seven eighteen, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. It's one of the, the signs of, of a life that's been converted, that life's been breathed into, that's no longer a slave to sin, is it bears good fruit. And it cannot bear bad fruit. That's not to say that once you come to Christ, you're never going to sin again because we're not perfect. We're being sanctified. It's a long process. We're being made perfect, but that won't culminate until Christ returns. Right now, we're on this side of, of Christ's return and we will sin, but it, it's not that willful, disobedient Sinful nature. So we repent. Repenting is turning our hearts away from the willful sin. Psalm 58 3 The wicked one estranged from the womb. I'm sorry, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. Listen, we're born sinners. It's hard for us as parents at times to understand. We see our children and we want to go, oh, they're perfect and they're, they're this and they're that. But they're sinners just like everyone else. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. They lie. They manipulate. Their hearts are deceptive. We live in a culture today that likes to go, oh, they're just being kids and they'll grow out of it. No, that's sin. That's the sin nature that they are born with because they have been corrupted from the, the, the fall. We all have been corrupted in that manner. Psalm 51.5, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. See, I, I think people have lost focus on whom they are and how estranged and how far removed from God they are. That they're born sinners in sin, born estranged from God. And our hearts need to be reconciled to God. And the only way that happens is through Jesus Christ. John 3.20 
For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Why do so many people reject Christ? Why do so many people reject God? Why do so many people not want to go to church? Because they don't want the light shining on them. They don't want their, their evil deeds being exposed. No one wants their sin to be exposed. We like to keep that dark and in the dark and secrets. That's why so many pastors today don't want to shine that light out onto the people because they understand this and they, under, they, they feel the people would leave. But really the greatest thing that can happen to a sinner is for God's light to shine exposing that sin. How in the world does a sinner become convicted of a sin if it's, he's not being convicted by the word of God? The word of God is what convicts us of our sin. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. This is all God's work, though. It's God who convicts us. When we read Scripture, when we hear Scripture, we should be gaining wisdom or conviction. Proverbs 28.9, if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Listen, you go to that first chapter uh, of, of Isaiah, chapter 1. Read chapter 1 of Isaiah, where, where the, the nation of Israel, God's people, have been in rebellion and have rejected God over and over again. He even talks about their prayers. He's like, I, I don't even hear your prayers. I don't even listen to them. You're going to reject me. You can say you're of me all you want. But if you're going to live in complete disobedience and willfully sin and, and, and live for the world, I don't, I don't even hear your prayers because you're estranged. Isaiah 64, 6. We have all become like one who is unclean and all our, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. This again goes back to oftentimes I've heard of these people say, oh, that, that person must be in heaven because they were so kind and they were so great and, and, and they helped all these people. And listen, none of that saves you. Only Jesus Christ saves you. You could be the greatest person in your town. You could have done the greatest social work in your town. You could have helped as many people in your town that you can. Um, but the fact of the matter is, the only way to the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. There are a lot of great people who did a lot of great, as far as the world's view of what's great, who did a lot of great things who are in hell. We have to face that. We have to understand that. We want to hide from that. We want to run from that. We don't like to hear that because we don't like to be talk about judgment today in our country. We don't like to talk about uh, sin in our churches. But this is a fact. This is biblical. All your righteous deeds that are done apart from God, they're like polluted rags. 
You think those are going to save you? They're not. Romans 3, 10 through 12. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Look at that, Romans 3, 10 through 12. This is one of my favorite passages. First off, the book of Romans is my all-time favorite book of Scripture. Romans and John. They're just two incredible books of theology. Um, but right here, Romans 3, 10 through 12, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. There is no one who does righteous. You have no righteousness of your own. You need to understand that any righteousness that we have, any righteousness that I have, any righteousness that anyone has, that is foreign righteousness to us. It is God's righteousness that is imparted upon us when he calls us to him. He imparts the righteousness of Christ onto us. And that, that's what ends up happening. You see, when Christ died on the cross, he took our sin and he imparted his righteousness Onto us, so that one day when we stand before the Father, when we stand before God in judgment, and He looks at us, He's not going to see us on our filthy rags and our filthy sin and whatnot. He's going to see the righteousness of His Son, which is covering us. In verse 11, no one understands, no one seeks for God. Listen, in our natural state, we cannot understand the Scripture. We cannot even understand the message of the cross. You know, you share the gospel with somebody, but unless the Holy Spirit has been cultivating their heart and preparing their heart to hear that gospel and to receive that gospel, they cannot understand it. And they can read the Bible seven ways till Sunday every single day. They can read it. They cannot understand it. Because we, the only way any of us can understand the Scripture is by the grace of God, is by the Holy Spirit who guides us through those Scriptures. So we can have any understanding of God's Word and the, the power of God's Word. And no one seeks for God. We need to understand that. In our natural right, righteous state, no one just comes to God on their own. We need to, to be very clear on that. No one wakes up one morning and just goes, you know what I need today? I need God. Not on their own, they don't do that. Now, now they can be attracted to the benefits of God. They can go, you know what? My life's in shambles. And so I need to be around people or I need to be around what I consider good people or I need to, to um, I know these Christians have get this, this, and this, and, and I've heard bad teaching, bad theology, and then so I need a new job, or I need no more money, so I want to go to God, or I need, uh, I need, I need to have, um, uh, I need to hear that that what I'm doing is is right, even though I feel that it's wrong. And so they go to church looking for the benefits and the byproducts of God. But they don't really want God because they don't want to surrender their life. They do not want to humble themselves and surrender them, themselves and be obedient to God. Not on their own. No one seeks for God, which then brings up this great point. All these churches out here that are seeker sensitive, they're having these seeker services. Who who are they trying to attract? It says here, no one seeks for God. So obviously those people who are doing seeker sensitive churches and seeker sensitive classes and seeker sensitive this and seeker sensitive that, they evidently are calling the scriptures a liar or no one's showing up to their stuff because it says no one seeks for God. Jesus says it in John 6.44, that 
The only way you can come to me is if the Father who sent me draws you. No one's seeking for God. Not unless the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, God draws us through his Spirit. Verse 12 of this Romans 3, 10 through 12, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Listen, all those aside from, from God, all those, listen, all those people who are doing all these great things, but they're not doing them for the glory of God. They're not doing it to, to grow God's kingdom. They're not doing it for these things. Those things are not good. They're good because in, in the sense of our world, which has a very skewered, our culture and society has a very skewered, they've made up their own definition of what's right and wrong and what's good and what's bad. But that doesn't define the scripture's view of what's good and what's bad. So we look at that and we go, well, how can somebody out there who's feeding these hungry people, but they're not doing it for God, they're just off there, they're an atheist out there doing this, how could they be doing good? They're not doing it for God's glory. They're doing it for their own glory. They're doing it to, to appease themselves, or maybe there's an issue they're struggling with or whatnot. Listen, it's great they're out there, great as far as, as the people are, are eating, and we don't want to see anyone starve. But don't think that they're, this is a godly thing that they're, they're doing it. We're to do all this to God's glory. No one does good, not even one. And Paul, who the, the author of Romans, is addressing this. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural person, which would be us, in our natural state, apart from God, before we were saved, you know, these are the people who are, are not saved, the, the people who have, God has not called to, to saving faith in Christ at this point. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly or foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This goes right back to what we were talking about earlier with the scriptures. Like they can read the Bible, but they can't understand the scriptures. You can present the gospel message to them a thousand times and they won't get it because those are things that are spiritually discerned. And until the Holy Spirit is working upon them, we've been going through the book of Acts on Sunday mornings that are in our church. And in Acts, you see this over and over and over again, this concept. You see the, the African eunuch who gets a hold of the gospel presentation from the Old Testament, I, I, uh, uh, Isaiah 53. And he, he, he's, he's traveling, reading this. And then you have and Philip. And I understand the Holy Spirit is cultivating the soil of his heart. And so the Holy Spirit's responsible for getting that into his hands. And so Philip, a disciple, is told to go to this desert road and wait. He has no idea why, why he's going there. And all, lo and behold, here become, comes across this eunuch. Being in this chariot. He's or this, this wagon he's reading out loud that gospel message from Isaiah 53 and God tells Philip to go over to him and he does and he says do you know what you're reading and the eunuch says no can you explain it it's like putting it right up on the tee for Philip and Philip gets up there and gives him the gospel presentation and the eunuch is baptized and 
We see this in the conversion of Saul. Saul, on his road to Damascus, the persecutor of Christians. Saul is on his road to Damascus and sees Jesus. He's struck blind. He goes into the, the city for three days and, and blind. And, and lo and behold, in Damascus, God has been preparing Ananias. And he sends Ananias over to Saul with the gospel. And we see this conversion happen. But, but Saul's heart was being prepared long before that. See, Saul, while he was persecuting and chasing Christians, he was hearing the Christian message. He'd even heard Stephen's prayer when they were stoning Stephen to death. And he was standing there holding the, the coats of the people stoning Stephen. And so he is hearing it and he was hearing it. And now if the Holy Spirit wasn't working on him, he could hear it and it would mean nothing. It would, it would not phase him. But obviously the Holy Spirit was working in his heart, working in his heart, cultivating that soil. We see this with Cornelius, the Roman sentry, who had heard, obviously, the Christian message, was accepting of the Christian message because the Holy Spirit was working on him, but was not saved, could not be saved at this point. But God also is working with Peter, who, who was a nationalist and did not like Gentiles, did not see them as being worthy. They were unclean. And yet God uses Peter. He works in Peter's heart and then uses Peter to take the gospel message to Cornelius, which kicks down the door for the gospel to, to go out into the Gentile world. And Cornelius is converted. Over and over and over again, we see this, that the Holy Spirit cultivate, cultivates the soil of the heart to prepare it to hear the gospel. And it, it prepares someone to deliver that gospel. It's how we were all saved. It's how we all came to Christ. That the Holy Spirit, long before we ever were, was doing a work in us. It was working on our heart, changing it, preparing it to hear that gospel. And so when we heard it, we accepted it. We were dead, and God breathed life into us. In our natural state. We did not accept the things of the Spirit. They were foolishness to us. We were unable to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. This is very important. Our gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. Those who are perishing means those who are are, are unsaved, those who are, are, are not saved. Remember, these people are dead in their trespasses. So these are the people who are, are they're perishing in the fact that they're perishing, they're going to be going to hell. These are, these are people who are going to be perishing for eternity. The gospel's veiled to them until the Holy Spirit prepares their heart, until God breathes life into them. So they're no longer perishing. In this case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. It's verse 4, 2 Corinthians verse 4. Let's, who is the God of this world? The God of this world is Satan. He's blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 
1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word of the cross is foolishness. It is folly to those who are perishing, but to us it is, is they, they cannot understand it. Unless God has called them to Christ, unless God has begun that work in them, they cannot understand the scriptures. This brings up good questions. When we talk about total depravity, there are questions like, well, then can man accept God's gift of salvation on his own? Do men choose God or come to him on their own? Well, in John 3, 27, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. So the answer is no. John 14, 16 through 17. And I will ask, this is Jesus talking, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Only those called to Christ can receive the Holy Spirit because it's neither it neither sees him or nor knows him. The world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. They are unable to know the Holy Spirit. You see, it's a, it's a, the, the differences between the words can and may. May is a word of permission. Can is a word of ability. Everyone may. Everyone has permission to come to Christ. But not everyone can in that they don't have the ability to come to Christ. Not until God breathes life into them. Not until God draws them. I mean, this is as plain as the nose on our face. And yet, because people don't understand, they don't like to see themselves as being completely dependent on God. They like to go, well, I played a part in my salvation in the fact, like, because we think so highly of us. We've put man and we've put ourselves up on a pedestal, which then lowers God. But Jesus says right here, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. The world being those who are living in the world, those who are not of Christ because it neither sees him nor knows him. John 6, 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. This, this point was so important to Christ that he repeats it in John 6, 65, and he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. That's not good enough for you? Romans 9, 16, so, the, so that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. It is all dependent on God. Our salvation is 100% dependent on God and only God. 1 Corinthians 1.30, and because of him, you are in Jesus Christ. Notice it does not say because of you. It doesn't say because you woke up one day and decided you wanted God. It doesn't say well, you woke up one day and decided that your life was in shambles and so you wanted him on your own. And it says because of him, you are in Jesus Christ. Him being God. 
Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, for, for a long time, we've been elevating men in, the, in church. We've been elevating ourselves in church, and we've been lowering God. And we start saying that our faith, that, that we, I have to, I provide that faith. That it's my faith. Well, I actually wrote, the, well, first off, the Bible all along would, would argue with that. Um, Romans eleven thirty six, For from him and through him and to him are all things. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has to be breathed into you to give you life before you can even recognize Jesus as Lord. John 3, 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. You have to be born again, born of spirit. John 6, 63, it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is no help at all. I want to repeat this. Please Go to your Bible. Look at the John 6, 63. It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is no help at all. You are no help in your salvation. Matter of fact, you're somewhat of a hindrance to it. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. This is from Jesus. Jesus 6, 63. It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Well, when people ask, can men do anything to help themselves? When it comes to this, Colossians 2.13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. It, first off, and you, you were dead. What can dead men do? Nothing. You can lay there. You see, there's a, an image it's often presented in churches today of you're drowning, you're a sinner, you're out there drowning, and someone throws you a life preserver, and that life preserver is Jesus. No, that's a horrible, horrible image. Because the real image that we get from the scripture is that you're dead on the bottom of the sea. You're not floating, you're dead at the very bottom, and God reaches in and pulls you out. And breathes life into you. You were dead in your trespasses. God made you alive together with him. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2. We see this reiteration. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. When you were in the world, you were living for and you were enslaved to your sin, which you were you were following the course of this world. You were following Satan. What is it saying? The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sins of disobedience. You were dead. And as we go on, Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, 
Even when we were at the bottom of that, that, that sea, dead. And we were dead because of our rebellion and because we are our own sinful nature that we wanted. We, our own sinful, corrupted nature, we wanted to stay dead. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Not by your works, not by anything you can do or have ever done, but by everything that Jesus Christ did on the cross. It's God's grace. Today in our churches, because of bad biblical preaching, men have been able to elevate themselves and there's no understanding of just how lowly and lost depraved the people we are without God all those called to saving faith in Jesus Christ are are there because of God and only God none of us all of God. All of us, or none of us, all of God. We need to have a right understanding of whom we are and a right understanding of whom God is. And then we understand and get a better picture of truly how amazing his grace and mercy is. Thank you.